and welcome to Kika's Corner. My name is Kika Matos and I am your host. On this show, we talk about our community, our state, our nation, and the world. Um, But we always, always, always do it through a social justice lens. So let us get started. Our topic today is periods. Yes, again, for those of you (laughs) who tune in uh, to the show on the regular, recall that back in the spring, we did a show about period poverty, and we talked about how expensive menstruating products are. Uh, And the efforts underway to fix this problem uh, at the state level, in our nation, and around the world. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about this amazing new book that's going to be published by Simon & Schuster in 11 days. Um, uh, To be exact, it's going to be published on November 1. Uh, The book is about periods. It is powerful and amazing. And it is written by an author who is uh, a New Havener. So what, what? She's here with (laughs) us today. Uh, Let me do a little bit of framing. Um, For a long time, uh, talking about periods has been taboo. Uh, Even the very word period has been problematic for some people, uh, so much so that there are a number of different ways that people refer to when they talk about periods, including um, ant flow, time of the month, being on the rag, crimson tide, moon cycle, the list goes on and on. And if you Google period like I did yesterday, things show up like, quote, how to explain a period to a boy and, quote, how to have the period talk. The silence around periods has had a really negative effect on those who menstruate. Um, They're embarrassed to talk about it. They're embarrassed to be menstruating and ashamed when they cannot afford period products. Um, Our guest on today's show decided to do something about it uh, over a decade ago uh, by publishing a book called My Little Red Book. At the time, she was a freshman in college. Uh, My Little Red Book included uh, about 90 short stories about first-time periods from a diversity of voices and ages ranging from age 15 to 101, and I'm really excited to say that the book quickly became a New York Times bestseller. Uh, in 11 days, a version of this new of this book is going to come out. It's a new one, and it's called uh, Our Red Book. And uh, it's been described as, quote, a people's history of menstruation told through an array of perspectives and identities that span the globe. Gathered over 20 years, the collection takes stock of our shifting relationships to family, cultural inheritance, gender, aging, and liberation. Rachel Cater Nailboff, thank you <laughs> and welcome yeah. to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor and it's so right to start off here in New Haven. Um, my book, my book tour, the book tour, because this book is is a community project, really at its heart. So let us first, because this is a a, a radio station in New, in New Haven. I really want to just uplift and establish your New Haven credentials. Yes. <laughs> Born in New Haven, raised in New Haven, to New Haven parents. Is that right? That's right. Um, and yeah, this this project really started um, in town, very locally, because. Um, it will first it started as a family oral history project, really with my own mom's family. After we heard a very shocking story about my great aunt, 
who um, actually got her first period on her journey fleeing Nazi-occupied Poland while being strip-searched. And she was Jewish, and so it was just this incredibly traumatic moment in her personal history, and she had never shared this history until I was a teenager. And um, this sort of prompted a huge amount of talking in my own family and my mom and I, who were, you know, living in New Haven, we are living in New Haven, um, started asking ourselves, how could we encourage more families to open up with each other about these really important parts of our histories? And, you know, for me, it gave me such a different sense of where I come from, my legacy, my heritage. And so um, my mom, who is a, you know, active part of New Haven, shout out to Helen Cowder, um, really wanted to start with community leaders and activists in town. So Kika, you were one of the first people, I think, that um, she asked. This really started out as a mother-daughter project, and it's multi-generational. Um, and so your story and Zinette Lewis' story, um, Zinette Lewis's story, are two of the New Haven activist stories that um, were printed in the first version and are also featured in this in this new expanded version of the book. Can I ask you what it was that generated the original conversation between you and your aunt? Yeah, sure. So um, I had just gotten my first period and I was mortified. I mean, my story to me as a 13 year old was the worst thing that could ever happen. I was alone with my widowed grandfather. Um, he had signed me up for water skiing lessons. Um, he was really ashamed and never talked about what was going on, even though it was really visible that like I had had my period. Um, I didn't know what to do uh, because he was widowed. There was no one around to help me. And he just like dropped me off at a pharmacy. And I, I remember being so embarrassed. I couldn't even bring the summon the words to ask someone for help. And I got like, an adult diaper. It was just, it was horrible. It was really bad. And um, I just cried the whole week while I was there. And it was just this total impasse um, between us generationally. He didn't have the words. And so when I came home um, and my mom shared the story with my female family members, my great aunt was kind of like, all right, girl, like, you think this is bad? <laughs> let me tell you how bad it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let, let me sit down. <laughs> um, and she told me this story and I remember, you know, saying like telling my mom and I was like, did you, did you know this? And she was like, no, no one, no one has shared this part of, of our history before. And actually then I learned that my mom had, I realized my mom had never told me her story. Mm-hmm. No one had ever talked about anybody's history and for so long that's because these stories have been taboo and so that's thankfully changing um at least in the U.S. it's really opened up in the past 10 years since the first edition has um has come out and so now it really feels like we're ready to invite more folks into the conversation um to also understand these intimate histories and parts of who we are and where we come from. So I want to go back to the original book and, and would love to have us uh, have you walk us through the journey of the original book. Um, how did you decide who to ask to share their stories? 
um, as you were editing the book, what were themes that came up that you had never thought about? And then I really want to get into uh, what our red book is is all of, is all about because I think you are applying a yeah. very contemporary, really interesting lens to the new book. Yeah, I mean, I think these stories are so personal and often so vulnerable. Um, they require so much trust, and it's really an honor to hear them. And I, I hope that readers feel that when you encounter these stories on the page. Um, and so they all happen pretty much through word of mouth. I would talk to one person and almost everyone would say, you know, okay, my story is okay, but you really have to talk to my friend who is a twin or wow. my cousin who is blind or to, I know someone who got her period on September 11th, probably because of the shock or, wow. you know, it was really just, um, a trail and I have been on this trail for like 20 years and it hasn't stopped. And the stories are continually fascinating um, and increasingly complex as I think I grow older and can hold more complexity. Um, and I think from doing this now for almost two decades, what's most amazing is um, just one story kind of behind the scenes in this first edition, one of the central stories comes from Zanette Lewis, um, organizer in New Haven. And I, when I went to ask her son for permission to reprint it, he's told me, you know, um, yes, of course. And Zanette's only granddaughter, uh, just got her first period. And oh, wow. would you like to hear that story? And so like, these amazing cross-generational narratives are happening. And I think that's one of the most beautiful parts of the book actually is because it's such a word of mouth, organic process. Um, these, yeah, these, these very human stories behind the scenes are also unfolding. Um, yeah. Talk, talk to us about this new book and what the lenses that you are applying because um, for those of you who are listening carefully, I have not yet mentioned girls or women um, because we are now living in a very gender expansive world. Um, I also am curious to know how many men yeah. um, have stepped up uh, yeah. to share or offered to share <laughs> their experiences. So talk to us, Rachel, yeah. about why... Um, you uh, you are editing this new version. How different is it from the yes. um, from the original one? And then I'm going to ask you probably an awkward question about uh, some of your favorite stories. Okay. And you know, then I want to talk about your favorite <laughs> stories. This is like asking you whether you have a favorite child. But talk to True. us about this new book. You've brought on authors and editors before. Um, well, I should say that for the first edition, I was really young. I made this really as a as a book that would be given to a teenage girl for her first period as a gift. Um, I was thinking about what I didn't have, what I wished I had had um, in that horrible week that I was alone with my grandfather. Um, and what's very interesting is um, after that book came out, the idea for this book happened almost immediately after that book came out. So this was 10 years ago because the people who responded with the most interest, surprisingly, were single dads. Wow. <laughs> they were like, we need this. 
that you know, is amazing. We, we literally don't have stories to tell. We don't know what to say. We were never educated properly. Um, and so since then, I've just had this seed of like, oh, there's probably a whole world out there of people who really want to know and were never invited into the discourse because our our way of raising young people, of educating young people, especially cis boys is um, really lacking. And just on the like, level of information, let alone arts and culture. And so this is, um, so that's sort of where this idea for this version of the book began. Um, and also in the past, um, you know, 10 years, we've been talking so much more about the whole gender spectrum. And so this book really centers non-binary voices, trans voices, um, to kind of expand our understanding of the first period experience of the experience of menstruators, um, because there's such a range of stories. And I think, um, I think of it especially as a tool for parents to understand what possibly kids could be going through um, because yeah these stories really show you 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 can never assume um, some of my favorite stories um, in the book come from New Haven trans teens who mm-hmm. talk about the experience of like you know a parent who it in the best with the best intentions wants to celebrate and is so thrilled when um you know he gets his first period and before he even has the words around gender right because he's young he's 11 mm-hmm. um he just knows in his bones this is i think he uses the phrase it's like a gavel slamming down deeming me to be a woman um oh, wow. forever you know and so it's like actually this moment of of dread and and weight um and so um, but there's not just one, you know, trans experience. Of course, there's there's a whole there's a whole world, and so this book has so many across ages. But um, those stories um, needed to be in a book like this. Um, and then, yes, I think the other really important component that this book includes is perspectives from people who don't menstruate um, at all. So you know, caretakers for mothers, um, sons brothers um and men cis men are characters in almost all of the stories but we (laughs) almost never invite them to share their side of things um and I think that that's really the next step in finally freeing ourselves from what can be very oppressive silence and that has real consequences but yeah the stories from there are a couple um contributors in the book who are men and their stories are I find them to be one is very funny to me. Um, it's it's from a dad in in Mexico. It's a global collection. Um, so this story came my way um, from a from a dad who was asked to go buy menstrual care products for his teen daughter and had never done this in his life before, even though he grew up in the household with tons of sisters. And he finds himself at the supermarket and he is, has no idea what to buy. And, you know, there's like a whole aisle, right? And he buys everything. <laughs> and his daughter, you know, is like, dad, I just asked you to get this one thing. And you, he takes you through his panic attack and he basically realizes he's a full grown male adult and he understands nothing about what his wife goes through, about what his daughter goes through, about what his mother 
and sisters have gone through and it's almost like it's like a consciousness raising moment where he sees he's been actively like sheltered and protected from protected in brackets from this information and um once you see that you can't sort of unsee it and he um so 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 yeah i think this book is hopefully through play and um sort of a gentle hand um a way to invite people who haven't haven't learned yet um about this dimension of of what half the world goes through um are you uh, I, I know the the in the world of social media and multiple ways to communicate how are you thinking of um expanding the voices of those who read this book yeah gosh um i love your thoughts if any listeners have thoughts you know I don't know if it's because I'm old school or if it's because just the way that I've heard these stories feels um is is so intimate and it's mm-hmm. such a, such an ancient it feels like it's tapping into a very ancient oral history of passing down stories person to person um and so a book feels like a way that you can capture that in a way because it's a very private experience as you're reading it and I think some of these stories almost touch on, you know, they, they tremble, they feel almost Mm -hmm. sacred and um, you feel like it's like a gift to read Mm -hmm. them. Um, And so I have struggled to figure out how to capture them on social media because I feel like they can't really live as sound bites, but I am sharing just like little fragments and corners and single lines of stories. Oh, wow. And I think those just give you a sense of like the many range of voices. I can read just a couple um, if that would be interesting. That would be awesome. Please do. Yeah. So just to give you a sense of like how I think a little, a little corner of a story can travel and give you a sense. So um, um, a part of me felt angry that we had talked about what God expected of me as a devout adult instead of sex or periods. Um, Here's another one. In prison, we made our own tampons from pads. Mm. Um, Here's another one. I pondered whether my brain is a better womb than my actual uterus. Maybe giving birth to ideas rather than another human is more sustainable for this body at this time. And then lastly, uh, for you, um, Kika, no, ellas no me decían nada. Taboo, taboo, taboo. so yes, I, but I, I, you know, these lines don't, don't do justice to the whole story, but they just give you a sense that there are no two stories that are the same. Very powerful words. Um, I know, oh, let me just say what folks are listening to. If, if anyone's uh, joined us late, you're listening to Kika's Corner on uh, WNHH, New Haven's Home for Community Radio Broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. Uh, um, uh, you are uh, about to launch this new book, um, and I'm happy to say that you are uh, centering New Haven once again in this launch. So can you talk to us about what events are coming up and how people can actually uh, purchase this book? 
Yes, um, I am so excited about a New Haven launch that's going to be happening November 5th, Saturday. That's a Saturday at 1 p.m. at the Institute Library. Come out. Um, Kika is going to be reading um, as are many local contributors. A lot of the teens are going to be there, which is going to be really beautiful. Um, it's actually going to be a huge age range. It's I, I think it's going to be a really beautiful, beautiful event, ranging from 13 to someone who is not 13, <laughs> much, much older. <laughs> 13 and up. 13 and up. 13 and and I, think, I think it's, yeah, I think... Um, Folks of all genders are welcome to come listen. It's going to be funny. It's going to be intense. It's going to be educational. It's going to be joyful. Um, I think we have 11 contributors who are able to read their stories in person. So it will almost feel, I think, a little like theatrical. Um, and what I love most is just hearing these voices side by side. And it's going to be so amazing to hear people read their stories in their own voice. And for a lot of the teens, especially, this is going to be their first time sharing, sharing these stories um, in public. And so um, actually, I keep mentioning Zanette Lewis, um, but her granddaughter is going to be there at the New Haven reading. So I'm really, she's the youngest contributor. So I'm really highlighting her, um, giving her a shout out to Sophia Moore. Um, and I hope to see everyone there and books will be for sale there. And so it's a great chance to also support New Haven's most radical new bookstore, Possible Futures. Oh, great. Um, so please come out and it's free. Okay. And are you going to sign books? We will sign books. Yes. Yes. Um, so I think it will be a reading and then we'll have a chance to chat. So yeah, bring, bring friends, bring your kids um bring your loved ones bring your boyfriend who needs to learn more <laughs> anyone yeah. and everyone who needs a lesson about about periods um let me ask you something in terms of the um the advocacy that's going on uh uh around the country and uh, also in Connecticut um how is how do you envision this book playing a role in really advocating for an end uh, to period poverty? It's such a good question. So important, Kika. And it, it is happening. Um, as your listeners know, in Connecticut, there was a bill that was introduced in the House in March um, of last year to make menstrual care products available in schools. Um, and it's, I think, what I hope this book illuminates is that this world is possible. Um, some some of the contributors who are interviewed, it's so thrilling are the politicians and legislators who are behind the world's first policies to make menstrual care products free on a national level. Um, Monica Lennon, who is the health minister at the time, was the health minister of Scotland, who um, was behind this groundbreaking policy that was just passed this year. And Scotland now has free products across the country for oh, anyone wow. who needs them, um, is interviewing about how that policy came to be. And um, what's so fascinating about her answer is that 
it starts at the grassroots level and it's students, you know, it's like students advocating in their high schools, at their universities, um, on the district level, and then you see that it scales up. And so some of the other voices in the book are teen activists. Um, there's an amazing group in Wisconsin um, called Bleed Shamelessly that was especially active during um, the height of COVID since um, the economics of that moment were especially bleak. And so people needed more products um, than ever and as donations. And so I interviewed them about that. Um, and they were, they're actively working to combat the luxury tax, which still exists in 22 states in the U.S. on um, sanitary supplies on menstrual care products. Um, but I think What's interesting about this book is people are at very different stages around the world in this fight. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a matter of time. And you see that like these people, these young teens who know that this is something that they deserve and are being told by their principals, no, you're asking for too much. You're crazy. This is never going to happen. Um, when you read their stories, write alongside someone who's in a different part of the world and is like, obviously, <laughs> this is a basic human right, right to not do this as discrimination. Um, you realize this is really a global question. This is a global mm -hmm. fight. And um, we're on our way. And um, once you encounter a perspective like this, you can't unsee it. And so it's just about um, the starting point has to be about knowing that this other world is not only possible, but exists <laughs> at the same time. Um, and it does exist in the U.S. too on different state levels. Um, but that being said, um, another perspective in the book that's so important to um, learn more about and to pay attention to and to um um be aware of is the stories from the incarcerated voices um where even if technically um prisons you know are supposed to give everyone um free products that doesn't happen and periods are an avenue that people um specifically target control shame humiliate incarcerated folks and um it's another way that we see that um people are dehumanized um, behind bars. And so in so many ways, these stories, you know, this didn't begin as like a social justice project, mm -hmm. but like anything, if you just look closely enough at anything in this country, you see injustice everywhere. And so it really comes through in these accounts in a sort of sideways way. Pe people are just talking about these um intimate stories in their lives and it becomes a, a very interesting embodied portrait of what it means to live in the U.S. right now. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, and for those of you who are listening, again, the book reading is on Saturday, November 5th um, at 1 p.m. Rachel Wright at the That's Institute great. Library, which is on Chapel Street. So come on out and uh, join uh, what's going to be a really uh, fun uh, and community-oriented um, afternoon. Um, we are almost out of time, so Rachel, as is my practice, I'm going to now ask you some uh, personal questions. So are you ready? Okay, let's go. Uh, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? 
Oh, I wanted to be a psychiatrist slash movie director. That didn't work out. (laughs) Um, If you had to describe yourself using three words, what would they be? I'm actually really introverted. Um, I'm pretty shy and I'm very emotional. Uh, If they made a movie of your life, what would it be about and which actor would you want to play you? Oh my God. It definitely would be about periods. (laughs) I feel like periods, birth, death, these epic cycles of life. It would, it would just, it would, um, oh, I, I can't, I can't, I can't pick, I can't pick the celebrity. Um, <laughs> I feel like maybe it would be that unknown actor that becomes a breakout star that like, you know, local person who everyone then is like, who is that? <laughs> Good enough. Um, folks, uh, unfortunately, we have come to the end of the show. Uh, thank you so much, Rachel, for being our guest um, this has been a, a fun conversation. I'm really excited to be joining you. And it, it just, for me, it's been a, a privilege uh, to be included uh, in both in both books. Um, and I'm going to be really excited to uh, to share uh, my own period story at the at the event on November 5th. Um, and here for those who are listening, please do something for the cause of justice this month. Uh, And until the next one, here is wishing you a uh, not-so-cold fall uh, and many, many days of uh, warmth, even if it's inside. I want to give a big shout-out to our amazing uh, producer, Harry. And I hope to see you all again on Saturday, November 5th at the Institute Library at 1 p.m. Thank